Christmas is that time when we look back on stories of ages past. I think of classic tales like A Christmas Carol or The Night Before Christmas or even It's a Wonderful Life. But what about some extraordinary Christmas stories that we don't often get to hear? Stories from ordinary people like you and me that help us see Christ at Christmas. Well, that's what this episode of the Great Stories Podcast is all about. And I've been calling these stories Christmas Nuggets that all whisper the name of someone you and I both know, love, and we talk a lot about this time of year. And if I give you a hint, his name is not Santa Claus. These are exactly the kinds of conversations I love to have at Christmas because they never fail to remind me of my Savior and what he came to do on that very first Christmas. Now, it wouldn't be Christmas without hearing from a child. And one of our producers, Kate Ray, recently sat down with her youngest child, five-year-old Luke, and asked him to reflect on what Jesus did on Christmas Day many, many years ago. Listen and let your heart rejoice. Can you tell me what your name is? Luke. And how old are you, Luke? Five. In November, something really special and cool happened. You asked Jesus into Into my heart. Why did you want to do that? Because I wanted to be in heaven. Oh, yeah? Yay! Christmas is just a couple of weeks away. What is special about Christmas? That we celebrate God's birthday. Yeah. And what has God done for you? Um, he made a special place for us. Oh, he has? Yes. Called heaven. So on Christmas, how do you plan to celebrate Jesus' birth? I'll go to church and I can be with friends and family. Yay! Here's one more question. Mr. Charles likes to ask all of his guests this question. Are you ready? Yes. What does Jesus mean to you? That he's very special to us. Thank you, Luke. You're welcome. Thank you, Luke. I hope you have a happy Christmas, and may you continue sharing the great story of Jesus with others. Children love birthday parties. How much would they love a birthday party for Jesus? But that's exactly what my friend Dr. Walt Foreman does for the last several years at his home in his neighborhood in South Florida. So with me is a good friend of mine, longtime friend, Walt Foreman. We're in Florida together. Well, I want you to tell me, I don't know if it's a brainstorm. I don't even think you came up with the idea, but you've been doing it for a number of years now. Just tell our listeners what you've been doing. Yes, so um, we have a neighborhood Happy Birthday Jesus party early in December every year, and I think we're getting ready for our eighth one. And what happened was one time we were having a Bible study at the house, and I I confess that I felt felt really bad that I had never gone around to our neighbors and actually presented the gospel to any of them. And so one of the ladies at the um, at the Bible study said, "Well, why don't we invite them over here and have a Christmas party?" I said, "That sounds good." So that's what we did. We got up uh, little invitations and invited everybody over, and then uh, we do it every year. Take it. It's about two and a half hour party. We have it out in the open. We want the neighborhood to see all the neighbors coming in case they don't come, and then next year they'll want to come. That's been a good outreach. And basically what we do, we, we, we have the party. We, we like to do, uh, we don't do too many chairs because we want people to circulate and talk because 
our neighborhood, I think, is like a lot of neighborhoods. Most of the neighbors don't really know each other. Mm -hmm. So now they get to come together and meet their own neighbors. Number two, they get to have a really good time. And number three, sometime during the party for about five or ten minutes, we stop the party, we bring out a cake, we sing happy birthday to Jesus, and then I give a little five-minute message on what it really means about why Christ is in the middle of Christmas, Christ Mass. And um, each, each year is a little different, but it's, it's about the gospel. And that way we know everybody there has at least heard the gospel. I got to admit, Walt, the first time you told me you were going to do this, uh, I laughed. I shouldn't have laughed. It's a great idea. <laughs> but what everybody's listening, wondering right now is, have you ever seen any fruit born from having a happy birthday Jesus party at Christmas? Uh, absolutely, because uh, three things we're looking for is, number one, people have a lot of fun. And we see that people love it. Number two, people get to know each other in the neighborhood. And we see that people even know my name now. I know their names. We didn't know them before. And of course, the main thing and the, the most important thing is, do people come to Christ? And yes, I'm sure people have come to Christ. I know one specific. It's my best friend. And uh, he, we, we knew each other since grade school. And I prayed for this guy for 35 years. And that's when he came. The first time we had a party, that's when he came to Christ. So I know that does work that way. And uh, so yeah, it's a great thing. And you can do it real simple, real easy. Anybody can do it. And it, it is a great outreach um, without a lot of work. Walt Foreman, what a great idea. Maybe somebody else is going to say, I'm going to do that in my neighborhood. Merry Christmas to you, brother. Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. <laughs> At Christmas, we think about the birth of our Savior long ago in Bethlehem. The concept of a Savior is sometimes hard for us to grasp in our world today. Well, I want you to hear a short story shared by my friend Dave Bagshaw. He lives in Canada, and one day he drove up to a car accident knowing he needed to help a man in distress. Dave shared the story with me while we were sitting in his camper on a rainy day in British Columbia not too long ago. It was uh, a day that I was driving home and noticed that there was a car that had driven off the road into the bushes uh, near where I live. And um, it, it looked strange, so I got out of my car and, and it looked like it had, had just happened and realized that there was somebody in the car. And uh, so I ran to see if I could help, but somebody behind me was shouting to not go near the car, that it was going to blow up, and that didn't make any sense to me, so I kept running and noticed that there was uh, a man in the car. And uh, so I opened the back door of the car, but smoke came out, and so I realized, oh, this is a this is not a good situation. And I was thinking of how do I get to the man I, I, I couldn't actually reach him through the back door. And so I, the, the front door was locked. Uh, I tried all sorts of things. The car had run up against some blackberry bushes, was up against a tree. There was just no way to access him. And I was about to go over the car from the back bumper and the car just completely ignited and from the inside. Um, 
and I fell back from the flames and and realized that I couldn't I, I couldn't save the man who was inside. It was it was it was devastating for me. Um, I was very shaken, and there are many other things that happened afterwards. Um, one of the things I was asked was was why I couldn't save the man. There seemed to be time to save him, but everything seemed to be against me in rescuing him. Um, I came away from that with a just a, I guess, a number of things to think about. A real shock. Uh, I actually had difficulty driving my vehicle after that. <laughs> There were, there were times where I actually had to stop and get out of my vehicle because there was this unreasonable thought in my mind that my vehicle was going to catch fire. It was, a, it was a very difficult couple of weeks. But one of the things that came out very strongly, there are things that we do in life to help others, to, to save others. I think doctors feel like they're saving people some of the time. But to think that in that situation, I couldn't save that person was, in, it was incredibly frustrating. And it made me think how, how good it is to know somebody who can truly save people. It just, it emphasized my love for Christ, who is a savior. And the thought of uh, being a part of bringing people to Christ and knowing that they can be saved by him became all the more exciting to me. It was, it was an amazing thing to be a part of Bible studies and realize that people's eyes are being opened to both what they need to be saved from and that there is one with enough power, strength, <laughs> and ability to actually save them. So with that backdrop... What are you thinking about this year leading into Christmas and celebrating the birth of Christ? At this time of year, you're preparing uh, in, in church. You spend so much time thinking about the Savior and how he did the saving. He entered our world and he, uh, he, he broke through into our place of uh, such need. I mean, I had a wonderful time a couple of Christmases ago where I, I've always had the desire to be intentional about people who we have over to to really focus on Christmas, not just have a good meal, share some presents and that sort of thing, but to really focus on Christ and who he is. And I remember I had a sister who uh, doesn't believe in in Jesus as Savior. We had friends who were over a, a family who are very secular and my family who love Christ. And I, I just had an idea of how to, you know, get people focusing on Jesus, the Savior. And I, so I asked the question, I said, does anybody know who was involved in the Christmas story, in the biblical account? Did, can you name the names of all the people? And it was very fun to go around and, and, you know, people said, well, there were shepherds, there were angels, there was Mary, there was Joseph, there was... Uh, and then some people got that there was also... You know, um, uh, John the Baptist and uh, Zachariah and and then you know people started thinking oh there's this guy Simeon who who held Jesus in his arms the, 
um, oh, yeah, there were the angels who, and, and it just, it became quite exciting, I think, even for the people who didn't know the biblical account to hear how many people were involved in this story of Christmas. And as I think about the Savior entering the world and affecting so many particularly unimportant people's lives, people who were poor, people who were in desperate situations. It, it was a wonderful thing to have all of my friends and family bring out uh, how, how far the reach was that Jesus was going to affect people's lives. And, and just the emphasis of him coming to save the whole world, that that's God's heart. I, I think Christmas is a time where we get the opportunity to think of uh, how unique this story that a savior comes as a, as a baby and, and gives his life, lays it down, doesn't use uh, the power that we think he would and, and, and he actually does accomplish saving us from sin, saving us from death. As you think of Christ coming to save us from death, you reflect back on how you as a human being couldn't save in that instance another life, but yet Christ can. Just the whole thought of what I experienced there has helped me to not get into that mode where I'm almost being foolish and thinking I can save people. It's, it's I have to bring them to Christ. It's the real joy is not that I've got some ability to help people out. It's that I get, I get to be a part of bringing them to the person who I know can save them. He's, I, I know it because he's done it for me. I know it because he's done it for others who I love. I've seen the saving happen in their lives. And to actually bring people to meet the one who you know can save, there's, there's no question about it at all. <laughs> it is, it's exhilarating. It, and it's, it's the thing that, becomes what you want to do more than anything else in all of your life. <laughs> That's perfect. Thank you. Yeah. I so appreciate Dave Bagshaw sharing his story with us. Though we can't always rescue people in need, it's still something we do when we see someone in trouble. We're made in God's image, so it's natural to want to help an image bearer in need. And that's exactly what Bettina Conrad has been doing with her church as they've taken in a lot of refugees in this past year. Bettina, you're an amazing church that's helped to bring in 30 refugees in just a single year, a church of less than 1,000, and you're one of 120 uh, people volunteering to take in that many refugees, most of them from Afghanistan, um, at your church in Canada. That took a lot of work. What did you guys have to do? Well, a lot of the work was preliminary, done by some of us, um, and and there's a lot of work with the government to bring in refugees from overseas uh, when we are the sponsoring church. So there was some of us that were very much involved on that level, and then each step of the way there have been many of us who've uh, come alongside. And that's one of the things that I really real recognize in this, that the wonderful thing in being a church that sponsors is that there are so many different talents and gifts that people have, and we're invited to give those things that we 
that we do have to offer and that God has gifted us with. And in all of it, he's provided abundantly through all of us. And the amazing thing is the majority of the refugees arrived just a couple of weeks ago, just leading into Christmas. Let's talk about Christmas for refugees, but then how is this encouraging you to serve your Lord, and how is Christmas going to be more meaningful to you this year? Well, I can actually tell you a little story from yesterday. Um, yesterday, uh, we were filling uh, a home with items that many people have um, offered uh, to contribute to fill a house for this family of seven. So there's 16 in all in the extended family, but this group of seven is, li- is going to be living in one house. And so I was out and about driving, picking up little things um, from various homes. And it was a slush wet, kind of miserable winter day, driving in my little Kona uh, to this apartment. Um, I picked up a lamp, a standing lamp, um, good shape and happy to load it, getting back in my car. And I just suddenly saw the windshield wipers wipe back and forth. It was sort of that slushy snow, snow. And I thought, wow, this is Christmas. This is what it's about. We're gathering gifts for this family who has nothing, who's entirely dependent on others um, who've lost everything. So I just was overwhelmed with a sense of gratitude that I could be part of that story. What are you praying this Christmas then? What is your prayer? Well, I think, um, I think we feel so overwhelmed by the numbers and the needs in the world. And there's so much more than we could fathom or consider being a part of. And But instead of being overwhelmed, I realize we can pray because we are children of a God who has all things in control, who knows the story, the beginning and the end of the story, and who invites us to be part of that story. So I pray for his kingdom to come here on earth as it is in heaven. Thank you, Bettina. God bless you. The Lord be with you. And and thank you for what you're doing in the name of Jesus. Thank you. It's my pleasure. Now I have one more Christmas nugget for you. I recently sat down with Richard Borgman, the founder of The Word One-to-One. He's from London. He was a chairman of one of the Lloyds of London insurance companies, but gave all of that up. I asked him, about how to share the gospel this Christmas season. Richard, as we approach Christmas Day, how can a Christian share Christ, the Christ of Christmas, with others? Well, thanks very much, Charles. It's a good question, isn't it? Um, Do you know what? I think that uh, the more we uh, have developed as a society in looking at our own wants, how selfish we've become. Increasingly, uh, our friends crave answers in a way that uh, we as Christians uh, are not expecting. Uh, People don't have the answers to life. So actually, I've discovered that the thing to do is not let my faith just be about me. I'm not just having intellectually interesting conversations with people where I'm saying, look, I've got a faith and it gives me a peace that passes all understanding. Because the danger with that today is that people will turn around and say, well, that's great for you, Richard. I'm delighted for you. But, you know, I try to uh, be healthy. I'm down the gym. I'm into sexual freedom. I'm into 
whatever it might be. So uh, I've actually discovered what does make a difference. What makes a difference is the Word of God. So I've started to say to my friends, listen, haven't you always thought that one day you might have a look at the book that sold more copies than any other in the history of printing? Of course, that's the Bible. Wouldn't you expect that it's got some good stuff in it? It's interesting stuff. Now, those two statements are true in the lives of nearly everybody I speak to. They know that the Bible sold more copies than any other book, and they also expect that there's a reason it sold more copies than any other book. It's got some interesting stuff in it. Some might, some might think it's rules-based, but they think you know it would be interesting to read. For most people, the problem is they don't know where they'd start. So I then go on to say, well, look, I'm very excited to have discovered that there is one book of the Bible. It's called the book of John, which starts with a unique executive summary. Now, I'm in the city, so I call the 18 sentences, the 18 verses, you might say, that is the start of John's gospel, um, uh, an executive summary, because that's what it is. Everywhere else outside the city, I might call it an overview. And I say, look, I'm really excited by what this overview, this executive summary says. I would love to buy you a coffee, please, to show you the 18 sentences that make up this extraordinary, unique passage, the only one in the whole of the Bible. Now, by the way, I happen to have some great notes that have become an internet sensation called the Word One-to-One, -one, which go alongside those verses, and it would be great to show you those so that we could look at what comes out of those verses together. But wouldn't you like to see what the Bible actually has to say this Christmas? Can I buy you that coffee? And by the way, before they say yes or no, Charles, here's what I always say, because I think it's very important for people to understand how this coffee is going to end. I say, all I'm going to say to you at the end is, did you enjoy that? Did you notice I didn't say, what did you make of that? Because that would be an open-ended question. I'm literally just saying, did you enjoy that? It's a yes or no answer. If they say, well, yes, that was amazing, Richard. I just didn't know that's what the Bible said, which, by the way, is what nearly everybody says. Then I have one simple second question, and that is, well, would you like to see what comes next? And that's my next coffee. So it's very interesting. You're suggesting this Christmas share with your friends the first 18 verses of John 1 and not Luke 2. The reason it works is it's not what people expect. So everybody thinks that when they sit down for their coffee, I'm going to be showing them baby Jesus. There's going to be some very smelly shepherds and uh, a stable and uh, the Christmas story. And they're blown away by the huge claims that come at the start of John. It is literally mind-blowing. For the, It's the one area where you can go to people and immediately you're talking about eternity. You know, in the beginning. So we are going to go to the very hub of our very existence and say, did you realize there was a beginning and in the beginning was God? Phenomenal claims. And then actually it takes John until sentence 17 to make clear that when he says in the beginning was the word, that word is Jesus Christ. So I find it far more effective to actually go straight to the hub of our very creation rather than just deal with the nice story that everybody knows. 
Richard Berganen, uh, coming to us from England. Uh, I, since you are a Brit, will wish you happy Christmas, not Merry Christmas. Thank you for sharing your faith with us. Well, thank you, Charles. It's been a delight to be with you. Happy Christmas to all your listeners. Thanks for joining me on today's episode of Great Stories with Charles Morris. And I hope you enjoyed these Christmas nuggets from Luke, Walt, Dave, Bettina, and Richard. I'm so glad they could join me on the podcast. And of course, if you want to hear more content like what you just heard, why don't you subscribe wherever you find your podcasts? And if you enjoyed this episode, well, give us a good review. That helps too. And you can also go to haventoday.org and sign up for our weekly emails and discover additional episodes posted on the blog. And as always, thank you for joining me once again on Great Stories with Charles Morris.